Well, have you ever been inspired by a building? I, uh, I started taking an interest in architecture uh, when I was in college. I lived uh, in one of the suburbs of Chicago, and so uh, we went for classes sometimes into the city just to see different architecture. And it was while I was in college that I started developing an interest in Frank Lloyd Wright architecture. And uh, then when I moved here a number of years, uh, moved back here 20 years ago, I, for about 16 years, I was a tour guide. Some of you know this at the Frank Lloyd Wright Dana Thomas House on uh, 4th and Lawrence. And so I, I've always had an interest in the way that different buildings were built. Some of you have been to castles or cathedrals. Maybe you've been to the Capitol here in town. And when you look at these buildings, as majestic as they may be or as interesting as they may be, Always remind yourself that it all started with a plan. Before that building was ever built, in the mind of someone was that building. They had a plan. And then it was built according to that plan. And I bring all this up because with the verses we're going to look at in just a few moments, show us today God's plan, what he's building in this world. And I've been inspired, I've had a chance to see a lot of different buildings in my life, but there is no building plan that has come to inspire me more personally than the one we're going to look at today. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're actually going to finish chapter 2 today as we make our way this spring uh, through Ephesians chapters 1 and 1 through 3. Next fall, we're going to do chapters 4 through 6. And we're going to look at Daniel this summer in the Old Testament. But uh, as we make our way to the end of chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have extra Bibles there, hopefully in the seat rack near you, and you can pull it out and turn to page 815 if you're wanting to get there quickly. Ephesians, if you're getting used to your Bible, is in the last 50 pages of the Bible, and you can turn to chapter 2. That's where we'll be. Now, here's what I want to do to tie this together. If you haven't been with us, you see on our banners here, we're doing this series called In Christ, and the sentence for this series has been this, be convinced of who you are in Christ. If you're a Christian, and I know there are some of you here that are not yet Christians by your own admission, and you're here, we're just so glad you're here, but what we're learning is that when you and I repent from going our own way, living our own lives, and realize what we've done to sin against God, and we turn to God in humility and trust, and receive the gift of his salvation in Jesus Christ, he not only forgives us, but he gives us a brand new identity. We're not the same people anymore. We're born again by his spirit. A miracle, supernatural thing begins to change our lives. And so that's what we're learning more about is this identity. So today, what I hope you'll see is that last week, um, Steve helped us see this idea, if you're following along in the notes, that Christ makes us right with God and brings us near with his blood. Christ makes us right with God and brings us near with his blood. That's what verse 13 says earlier in chapter 2. Let me read it for you. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, which was given, which was paid for the penalty of our sin, rebellion, and apathy. And so God did that for us. To be reconciled, which was Steve's message title last week, means to be made right with someone. 
What we learn is that God not only makes us right with him, but he also wants to teach us how to be right with each other and how to bring us near to him so we can have this relationship. Now, when I say all that, as Steve mentioned last week and as I mentioned the week before, it's tempting, though, as people that live in the United States and who have been raised in a country that recovered the incredible truth that there is something of individuality that is also important in life, that we live in this country that sometimes has overemphasized individuality to the extent that corporate thinking, plural thinking, has taken a much lower place. And so what I want you to see is this. As soon as I, you and I hear that this is our new identity in Christ, we have to be careful about a lie that we can begin to believe again or maybe continue to believe. And here's the lie if you're following along in the notes. I can live the Christian life all by myself. I can live the Christian life all by myself. How many of us have heard it? Maybe you've even said it. I can just worship God all by myself out here in nature. And I want to just tell you, yes, you can. Yes, you can. But you can't do that all the time and grow as a Christian the way God intended. So in other words, the lie is, I, you know, I can live the Christian life all by myself. You can do that every once in a while. But if you only do that, then you can't do that all the time and grow as a Christian. Now, let me just explain this. If you look up here at our banner, we say that we're trying to fight shallow Christianity beginning with ourselves. You know what shallow Christianity is? Shallow Christianity is believing that you can live the Christian life all by yourself. It's actually an immature view. It's actually believing a lie that God never intended. And so if you're following along, what I hope you'll see is that one of the marks of maturity is embracing our shared identity of moving from me to we. One of the ways you can know if you're a growing Christian is if instead of always thinking of yourself and me and Jesus, me and Jesus, you begin to say, hey, Jesus has made me part of something bigger than myself. And I need to learn more about that. I need to learn how to embrace that more because I not only have an identity, but we learn that it's actually a shared identity. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that when things are working right, we begin to understand that. So like when we hear Ephesians 2.10 a couple weeks ago, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I told you that every once in a while, still, because I struggle with this lie, still, is that we hear that verse saying, I am his workmanship. Now let me stop. I am his workmanship. I am being changed by Christ. But if I hear it only as I am his workmanship instead of we are his workmanship, I'm not maturing properly. I'm, I'm staying shallow. And so this is what we're learning together. And again, the last few weeks, Paul's been showing that, hey, not only are you chosen in Christ individually, but now you're chosen to be part of something corporately, something bigger. You, you share something with other people. He didn't just bring you to himself. He brought a whole bunch of other people with him to uh, him. And he wants you to be connected to them. So this is what we're going to talk about today. This is what God's building. So I want to ask if you'd pray with me. And if you look on the notes, you're going to see that here's where we're going. We're going to talk about understanding what God is building. What is he building in this world? What is that inspiring building that we're going to look at? And again, here's my prayer. 
is that you will be able, if you haven't already, maybe you have, if you haven't already seen God's building plan, that you'll see it today. You'll see it with fresh eyes, maybe for the first time, and that you'll embrace his building plan, that you'll move towards it, that you'll see his vision for us, not just here on earth, but forever. So let's pray. Now, God, I ask that you'll help us to mature and to grow in our shared identity. And I'm so thankful that I get a chance to do this with other people today. And so teach us from your word, for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. Okay, let's look at these verses together. And I'll read the first two. And then when we get to the last two, I'm going to ask you to read. They're listed there in the two gray boxes on the message notes. So be ready so we can all read together off the same translation. Here we go. Verse 19. Consequently, in other words, because he's brought us from far away now to near. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, no longer outsiders. But notice what he says. But fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Stop. He continues to say, you need to know this, of what God has done for you in Christ. He's given you a brand new identity. Here's a couple right here. He's actually made you, you used to not belong to his kingdom because of your, what you had done and because of your separation from him. Now, in Christ, you are citizens of his kingdom. Friends, have you ever been citizens of such a great country with all its rights and privileges, that's one thing, but to be citizens of his kingdom, what an honor. What an honor to be part of God's kingdom. So don't miss that. The second one is this, and also he says members of his household. In other words, he went past that. That'd be one privilege to be part of the same country, part of the same kingdom, but he says, no, you get to actually be in the king's family. You actually get to be members in his family. Wow. Talk about privilege. So don't miss it. God has blessed us. But here's what I want to tell you. I'm not going to spend any more time today talking about that. Because the third picture that he gives of our new identity, our shared identity, is what I want to spend the rest of our time focusing on. And that is, is that we are building blocks. We are part of the building that he is building. And that comes next. Verse 20. Notice what it says. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, would you read verse 21 with me in that first gray box aloud and together? In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And now let's read the second gray box there. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So let's understand what God's building. And I want to just make one observation before we unpack this. This idea that he's building a building may hit you kind of cold. You may go, oh my goodness, man, brick and mortar, that just like doesn't inspire me at all. But I want you to notice that this is just one way he's trying to show a way God's bringing something together. In chapter 4, he's going to actually use another metaphor, and that is of the human body. He says, look, if you had all these body parts just laying on the ground, that would not be what it was meant to be. So you have become Christ's body. This is organic. This is living, but you're connected. It's that same idea. So know that he's trying to use another uh, illustration here of how a building has different parts, but when they all come together, oh my goodness, is it inspiring. So here we go. Let's look at what it says. What is God building? 
First, if you're following along, it's a holy temple where he lives by his spirit. It's a holy temple where he lives by his spirit. You know, in the Old Testament, he designed and called for a temple. First the tabernacle, which was a tent, and then something more permanent that was a temple. It was destroyed, so it was rebuilt. And again, all those were physical buildings, but God has had a temple on his heart all along. And so notice that we are meant to be a holy temple in which God lives by his spirit. The same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus can now live among us. Incredible. Now notice the second thing, though. His temple, if you're following along, is now people, not a material building. His temple is now people, not a material building. And this is, this is important. You know, every once in a while, when I, I, in order to remind myself of that, I, I try and, and the, the idea of his temple or his church being people is instead, whenever people say, are you going to church today? I try and say, I'm going to the church building today, but I'm going to be with the church. See, it's a little different mindset, but maybe that would help you shift because this brick and mortar is not the church. It's the house that our church family meets in. We, those of us that have trusted in Christ, we are the church. And so to understand that God's building something with people is an incredible idea. Now, just let me show you a couple of scriptures. So look at 1 Corinthians 3.16 that I've listed there in the notes. Let's read it together. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? So some of us have learned this Bible verse before that says, don't you know that you are, you know, God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? And that's often been used to show, hey, take care of your bodies. Because God's spirit lives in you. And that's certainly true. But did you know that in the original language this is written in, which we don't always have the benefit in English, you can have you, singular, you, plural. You can mean you, like you as an individual person, or you as a group person. This verse is written to a group of people. It's saying, you are his temple that his spirit lives in. As well as the fact that he also lives in you individually. So don't just stay thinking individually only. Let it grow to the place that it's meant that you are. Then look at this next passage from John 2. I want to just expand it. Jesus had an encounter one day where he was so revved up about how the temple was being used and misused, actually, that he went in and he turned over the tables of the money changers and he drove the animals out and he just got, he got amped up. And the, the religious leaders go, whoa, what's going on? And he says, you know, you're turning God's house into something different than it was meant to be, the temple, this physical temple. So they said, what authority did you just do that? You can't just walk in here and do this. By what authority? He says this. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was, what is it, friends? His body. So after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Friends, here's what Jesus is doing. He is serving notice that God has a different temple coming, had a different temple in mind. He says, look, you can tear down this physical one. If you do, I will raise it in three days. Now, friends, let me ask this question. 
He died, he rose again, and ascended into heaven. What is his body in the world now? It's church. That's what the, the New Testament says over and over again. So now we have become that body that God lives by his spirit. And God is saying, don't get stuck only on you know, bricks and mortar, because if you think that way, I'm already doing a new thing. I'm doing it out of people. It's just important for us to know that. So let me just show you in this passage what Paul does. He says, okay, let me show you what God's always had in mind as far as this building plan. There had to be a foundation, there had to be a cornerstone, and there had to be building blocks. Do you see that there in the notes? So let's talk about that, because that's what he says starting in verse 20. First, let's talk about the foundation. It says that in verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Have you ever... Have you ever, has anybody ever shown you how important the foundation is? I had a buddy whose family member had a terrible foundation. The builders had built a cruddy house, and they had started by building an inadequate foundation. It only took a couple years for that to all settle out, and the house started doing all kinds of weird stuff, okay? Maybe you've seen pictures like this. Here's a couple buildings right here that show what happens. Now, some of us go, man, those walls sure were built cruddy. No. It didn't have a foundation, therefore the walls could not stand solidly. Here's another one, okay? It's just, again, it's just not able. It makes it crumble from even above, but it all goes back to a poor foundation. If you see there in the middle, it's missing there. It's actually gone away. Here's my favorite. (laughs) See, if the foundation is not solid, the rest, whatever's built on top of it, will shift. It will not be able to hold up. It won't be solid either. So what he says is, here's what God's been doing. He sent his apostles and his prophets to be the foundation of his temple, his church. Now, what does he mean by that? Now, so people over the years have said, okay, that must mean that those apostles were like more important Christians, and therefore they, because of their really great Christianity, they were the foundation. But I don't believe that's what it means. If you uh, look at this passage, you'll see that out to the right, I've listed Acts 2.42. It shows that when the early Christians first came to Christ, what they did is they began to devote themselves to certain practices. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to each other which the word there is for koinonia, shared. They shared together. The other thing they did, they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to taking communion and having meals together. But the first part of Acts 2.42 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because they had learned that the foundation of God's building plan is what the apostles were given by Jesus Christ to teach And let me show you another encounter. Jesus has this encounter with the apostle Peter, who is the big fisherman, in Matthew 16. And in Matthew 16, what's been going on is Jesus is saying to some of the uh, disciples, who, you know, what are people saying about me? Who do they say I am? Because he realized that some of them had the wrong idea of what a Messiah was going to be. So then he turns the screws a little tighter here in verse 15 and says this. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, 
you know, Jesus had renamed Simon to Simon Peter. It means rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now here's the question. Did Jesus mean upon you as a person I'll build my church or upon what you just said, Peter, I will build my church? It was the truth of his declaration. It was the foundation of the church is who Jesus Christ is. And the apostles taught that. Now, when it says apostles and prophets, notice it doesn't say prophets and apostles. It says apostles and prophets. So Kent Hughes has made a good observation. He says, since both the apostles and prophets, which probably means, again, New Testament prophets, had a teaching role, the foundation is teaching. Thus, the foundation of the new temple is God's word, especially the New Testament scriptures. Do you realize what the, the apostles' teaching is, friends? Do we still have it today? It's the New Testament. It's been preserved by, for us. Therefore, again, think about this. If a church of people is built on any other foundation than the solid word of God, it will not stand. And friends, many Christians are trying to build on a different foundation. We're trying to be relevant. We're trying to say, well, that was then. That's so long ago. We're so smarter. We're so modern now. Friends, not true. God's word will last forever. Therefore, the foundation we must always, therefore, when we gather together, the foundation must always be what he says, not what we say, not what some other person we think is really smart says, if it contradicts his word. What a powerful thing. And so if you, again, I don't know if I already mentioned it, but the apostles and prophets' message or teaching is the foundation. Second, the cornerstone. The cornerstone. If you're following along, it's Christ Jesus who joins it all together. It's Christ Jesus. Did you see that? With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, what this means is this. The cornerstone was also part of the foundation, and it was the most important part of the foundation. In other words, the rest of the foundation was not laid until the cornerstone had been laid first. It was usually one of the biggest stones, and everything took its cue, its line from the cornerstone. A few months ago, I talked to you about a plumb line and how they measured everything. They started with the cornerstone. Therefore, if the cornerstone was sound, the foundation and everything that was built on top of it would be. What is the cornerstone of the church? It's the stone the builders rejected that now has become precious, and God has built everything, his whole building plan, friends. That's why when people go, well, you know, Christians think it's all about Jesus, so what about the other religions? Friends, I just want to say this. The New Testament clearly reveals, without trying to be despairing of anything else, that it's all going to be about Christ. And if you decide to build your life on something other than Christ, one day when you and I stand before God, we're going to see that it was always about Christ. From the Old Testament, New Testament, today. Therefore, what are we doing with Christ? He needs to be the chief cornerstone of our lives. See, when we come to Christ, then he connects us to everything else. But it's all about Christ first. And so, again, I don't know if you've if seen, uh, again, what cornerstones look like. Oh, I was reading this week that when they built the temple there in Jerusalem, they, they've estimated that some of those were 20 Eight, 29 feet. They were the size of boxcars. Let's just say that. Have you ever stood next to a boxcar of a train? Try throwing one of those around. They're huge. Now, here's some pictures from Jerusalem. Some of you know the Wailing Wall is of the few remaining stones left of the original temple area. 
this is where it is. And so you can see that's in Jerusalem. Look how big those stones are next to those people. Here's a few more. They're just mammoth. These were all built in, all brought in. They were all shaped and fitted and put together. Different sizes, different shapes, but they were all smooth and fitted. There it is. It's just massive. And so what God's doing is actually something even grander, even bigger, but it's about people with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. It's all about Christ, friends. It's all about Christ. And then notice the building blocks. The building blocks, if you're following along, is that we're living stones being built together. We're living stones being built together. Now, remember that Peter guy that I told you Jesus talked to and says, I'll build my church on what you just said. Let me show you what Peter wrote later in his life in 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. Look at this verse. He says, you are coming to Christ. He says, you've come to Christ, okay, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. You notice a similar theme of what Paul's just been teaching us? He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Wow. This means that even though it's mysterious maybe to us, even though we're not used to thinking like this, what God wants to do is change our thinking. He wants us to begin to see, okay, I come to Christ, and when I come to Christ, now he begins to incorporate me into something bigger, into something that has so much purpose, not only here on earth, but in eternity, becoming a temple in which God lives by a spirit that glorifies God and is radiant and just filled with blazing, brilliant light of the Holy Spirit inside. He's doing that with each individual person. But I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. See, I know what I was like before Christ. I know what I'm like even sometimes with Christ. And I'm blown away. We saw it last week, and even in the early part of chapter 2, we all have sinned, friends. We all have ignored God. We all have gone our own way. We all have fallen short of his original purpose and calling for us. We all have, by our own doing and by our own rebellion, apathy, and disinterest. But God, but God decided not to leave us that way. And he sent his son to die on the cross in our place, rise again, so that now by his spirit he could live inside you and me and give us a brand new identity and build us into something where we are part of this. And he didn't just do it for you or for me, but he did it to some of the people sitting next to you and people that have lived before us and people outside this church building, and he has done it. And he is doing it. This last week, and during staff meeting, we talked about this passage, and we were just sharing, what are your observations when you hear these verses on God's building plan? And Brian Wilmarth, he just said, one of the things I noticed is it says that we are being built. It's a process. And he said, I realize there's more people that God wants to build into his temple. Some of you are here, and again, if you were to be totally honest, maybe you have been honest with other people, you're not yet willing to trust in Christ or you're not ready to trust in Christ, we're so glad you're here. We hope that our church can be an encouragement to your spiritual journey. But here's what I want you to know. We pray that you too will come to Christ so that you can be built into this glorious temple that God is doing in this world. It's what he wants for you. It's what he wants for us. 
And we don't want to be a church that just thinks that it's us four and no more. We want to be a church that continues to be built with others. And so how do we let this identity, how do we be convinced of who we are in Christ? Let me talk to you about a couple ideas and bring that home. Oh, by the way, before I do any further, let me just tell you about something I have here in my pocket. Some of you know, can you hear the sound of these? I remember even the sound of these as a boy. I have three Legos in my pocket. I love Legos. I was born to be a builder. Anyway, last night I asked my wife if she'd pull out the Legos that I've had since I was five or six. I hope to someday give them to my grandkids. We just have scads of them. So, you want to see what I built last night? Here you go. <laughs> it's not big, but it's together. <laughs> and again, here's, here's what, if we're not careful, here's what we think of our identity. Here's, here's what happens sometimes never meant to be like that for very long. He always meant for us to be together. So a guy in our church family said, Jeff, what's the mortar? He says, if you just put stones next to each other, you just lay them on top of each other, that's not necessarily solid either. What's the mortar God uses? And it is the Spirit of God gives us a love that's not a fickle love like our love, and he teaches us how to love each other even when it's difficult. And he, he joins us together. And he teaches us how to do, give ourselves to his building plan. So first question, if you're thinking about your identity, is do I see myself as a standalone or with others building block? Do I see myself as a standalone or with others building block? You know, honestly... As you're making your way through, do you on, on any given week, like maybe this last week, maybe even this 24-hour period, do your plans include any together plans? Do you see yourself as a Sunday morning only Christian? It's a good thing. We need to gather like this. This is part of being together. But if this is it, then he wants to develop a lifestyle where you understand that he wants to make you part of his building plan all week long, every day for the rest of your life, and that he wants to show you how to relate to other Christians, other living stones, other building blocks in some honestly vital ways. Unless this become way too dramatic or built out, the question then becomes is, how? How? So I guess part of my answer would be this. Part of my answer would be, did you know that chapters 4, 5, and 6 that we're going to study are going to talk exactly how this looks in our everyday lives? One of the things it's going to show us is that it makes a difference in the way that we act in the world. It makes a difference in the way we act at home. Do you know where actually some of the building blocks need to happen first and foremost for many of us? At home. How we relate to each other. The postures we take with each other. That's why chapter 4 starts by saying, look, here's how you live out your calling. In all humility. Be humble with each other. 
move towards each other with the kind of posture that's not like, I don't need you, or I'm better than you. We've got to have a different posture. But then it shows that in our marriages, the way we interact with our kids, the way that we interact with people at work, the way that we interact when there's a battle going on, that's how we can live this out. But here's the second one, if you're following along. We live this out by practicing the one another's together. We live this out by practicing the one another's together. So if you turn your notes over to the back there, I don't know if you know this, but there are over 50 one another's or each other's in the New Testament. Translated, as someone has said, this means that you cannot live the Christian life without being part of at least some kind of small or community in which you can practice this. Therefore, do you see these? I'll just read some of them. I didn't list all 50 verses, by the way, but love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, warn and challenge one another. In other words, call out the best in each other, serve one another, live in harmony with one another, teach one another, accept one another, honor one another. Then there's this cooperative spirit, submit to one another. Don't compete all the time or just get your own way. Be devoted to one another. And at the bottom, greet one another, offer hospitality to one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. So there's all these verses. And I've been thinking about how, how do we do this? A gal in the church was telling me this weekend, she said, uh, she says, you know, sometimes when we walk into this worship center, I don't know how to describe it, but she says it feels like all of us have kind of like this layer of self-protectiveness around us. And it's like, it's like we can't get as close sometimes as God wants us to get. And some of that, of course, is just that in a big room like that, none of us can love everyone in the room in depth and stuff like that. But some of it is too, is that some of us walk in this room and we've been hurt. We've been criticized. We've been, become disappointed because we had these expectations of what the church would look like and a bunch of other living stones let us down. And the question is going to be is, are we going to let that be the last word? Or are we going to say, oh, maybe God wants to move me into a maturity that I wouldn't have chosen for myself. Friends, here's what I've learned. I have learned that some of the people that I was most un happy about being built next to are exactly who I needed. God shaped me through learning how to love people that were different than me or that were more difficult for me to love. And so you and I can learn these love one another's. But let me make one observation here. You notice how the second one says pray for one another? I, I realize that God's given me eyes to just see so many of you with different eyes. I mean, I just I start to say, oh man, God wants them to be part of his plan. And so I got to look at them different. So when it says pray for one another, I've started to realize that with my memory failing as I get more elderly, the only way that I can practice that consistently is sometimes I need to pray with one another. So some of you have seen, whether we're on the phone or whether I'm in person with you, if you'll share something, maybe sometimes you share something that happened in your life. Maybe it's good, maybe it's painful, maybe it's hard. I've just found that one of the ways I can live this out, and some of you do this too, is I can just stop and say, can I pray with you right now? And I don't try and pray a fancy prayer. I don't even always know what I'm praying, but I just believe that God a lot of times is showing me that you are meant to do this together. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those 
who rejoice. The question you're maybe asking is, how do I know if I'm moving in this direction of maturity? How many things are you doing together? And how many things are you doing alone? He wants you to learn. He wants me to learn. He wants us to learn. This is our new identity. So if you turn your notes back over, as you're turning them over, I want to tell you something that happens. This is powerful. In case you wonder if this is just for church people. Steve said it last week, and it's so true. When you and I begin to understand God's plan and we embrace it, a watching world will often notice. Some of you know I play tennis indoors several times a week at the Rack and Fitness Center, and I've had a privilege of doing it for the last 20 years. And so I've developed some friendships, both with Christians and people who, by their own admission, tell me they're not believers. One of my friends who's been just really honest and humble about the fact that he doesn't believe in Christ yet, well, I was playing tennis with him recently, and uh, we walked in, and uh, I, he surprised me. He says different things at times that I can tell he's thinking a lot. And he just said to me, he said, hey, I want to tell you uh, uh, something about uh, Cherry Hills. I go, okay. He says, uh, my son, you know, is on the Glenwood baseball team, and he says, uh, 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 this last week, there was a, a bunch of people, I, I, I finally figured out, from Cherry Hills, they were there to cheer on Kyle Hall, who was pitching that day. And he says, there was like 15 or 20 of them. And he said, the way that they just were cheering for Kyle and for the whole team, he said it was, he said it was just powerful. And you know what I thought to myself? He sees it. He sees God's building plan going on. And I'm praying that very soon he'll become part of it. That he'll come to Christ and he'll see that God wants him to be a building block, not just me, not just you. But oh my goodness, the world longs to see people that are being built together, filled with his Holy Spirit, that care not just about themselves. And so this last question is this, is the last thing that you and I can bring this home is, Lord, I will gladly give myself to you and your building plan. I will gladly give myself to you and your building plan. And so, again, how would that look for you? Let me just throw several ideas out. I know summer's coming up, so that's when our church family tends to have some more breaks from some of the things we do all school year. So, you know, you may say, how do I get connected? Well, one, who are the people that you sit with? on Sundays. Maybe if you get to know one or two of them, maybe you should just check in with them during the week. I'm not asking you to creep anybody out. <laughs> but I'm just saying, maybe that's one way. Maybe it's going to a Sunday school class and staying an extra hour. We have tremendous Sunday school classes, and many people have told me that's helped get them connected. You know, our staff was saying that mission trips, there's something about serving alongside. Maybe it's local things, like the Mather Wells neighborhood this summer whatever it might be, but learn how to do something together. And even if it's a cup of cold water, even if it's an encouragement note like we have in the seat backs there in front, if it's something, if it's a phone call, if it's a visit, it's a prompting, you and I can do this. But it all matters whether or not we give ourselves. We really give ourselves. Rather than waiting to be initiated on, we initiate so I close with this story, and then I want to give you three things to do, okay? So here it is. In the Southern California, there was a church there with a Sunday school, and in the Sunday school, there was a teacher who taught the four- and five-year-olds. 
She was a really good teacher, very thoughtful, but she loved to be planned out. She loved to have everything organized. And so imagine her surprise where just before class started one day, a visitor came in and was introduced to her. His name was Davy, and he only had one arm. She noticed all he had was a right arm, not a left arm. So she quickly, because she was so thoughtful, went through her lesson plan and thought, is there anything in the lesson plan that'll make Davy feel left out today or make him feel embarrassed? I don't want to do that to Davy. So she thought, I, I think I'm okay. I think I'm good. The class, the whole hour went tremendous. And she said, uh, it got down to the end, and she said, uh, she did what she did every Sunday with the kids. She says, okay, kids, let's do what we do every Sunday. Take your hands, and let's, let's make the church. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. And then she froze. She looked at Davy and saw Davy couldn't do it. Before she could do anything, the little girl sitting next to Davy noticed too. And she took her left hand and she moved it towards Davy and said these words. Here, Davy, let's be the church together. This is God's building plan. And it is inspiring when it works right. And it is painful sometimes as he's building. But he will build his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the question is, will you give yourself to his building plan? And here's a couple ideas. Here's the first one. If you take your notes back out and just look at the one another's on the back, we want to give you just a couple minutes and I want to ask you just to let this go from your head to your heart. How might love one another, pray for one another, serve one another, live in harmony with one another? Several of those first four or five. Is there one of those that stands out to you? Is there one of those that stands out to you? And if so, who might God be leading you to do that? with. Just take a couple minutes and ask him to show you what he wants to say to you.
You know, one of the verses says, encourage one another. If you were just to encourage one other person this week, what a difference that would make. That'd be somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 examples of encouragement that would go on in our church family or city if we all embrace God's building plan and put into practice. And of course, we can do more than once. We don't have to stop there. But what if we began to live this? So we thought about another thing we could do before we sing here in just a moment. That is, is what if we were to have a second greeting time? Some of you went, oh. <laughs> so I don't want you to feel pressured or coerced. If it just helps you to kind of soak in this message, you can do that. But we want to just invite you, if you're willing, to stand up. And if you're especially like extra credit daring, you could actually move a little farther out of your area and just say, hey, there's maybe a few other people that I could just say hello to. But the idea is this. We're not trying to just be cute. We're trying to say, when you do that, see what God sees. See his building plan. Marvel at how he is building us together. Red and yellow, black and white, rich or poor, old or young. All different kinds of people. So, when you stand up, and here's what, I, here's what I'm going to do. Glad I get to be part of the church with you. If you want to say something like that, okay? Be the church together, something like that. 